I don't know if you're gonna see this voice memo, but I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been happy? right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. I'm finally free to be who I really am and to really feel the emotion of happiness and not feel afraid. I love it, Susan, and I love everything I read about you. I mean, it makes total sense that you are like this, like human connector, and it's so natural, you know. So, yeah. I love about, it. Yeah, Probably. just production is is everything. It's it, you know, it's just been my whole life. I I never knew that that this is what I would do. I knew I'd do something adjacent, but I didn't know I'd be running this whole like multi universe thing. So. I am really really proud of you. Thank so you. I love your story. Um, and I want to know everything. Um, but what, you know, when I read your background, what was really standing out was the fact that you just left home and you yeah. moved out. I want to hear more about that. So okay. was it high school that you left? Yeah. The morning after like quarter to eight in the morning, I graduated on a Friday night and quarter to eight, I was packed and gone. I did go back a few times, but not a lot. So what was the, the background that led you to do that? You know, my family, I love them. They did the best they could. I didn't piece it together until, you know, my 20s when things really started to fall apart. But I was raised by an alcoholic, narcissistic father. And though she was never diagnosed, I believe my mother had serious mental illness. She was on speed, which was diet pills were speed Mm -hmm. back then. So we never knew what was coming in the door. Wow. And do you have siblings? I have three brothers and I have one sister. And And we all have different experiences of that home. Wow. My oldest brother, that's, he's the one that I experienced most of the abuse through. Um, He was probably four or five years older than I was and just... I was his lab experiment. Let's just put it that way. Um, he His childhood is a blackout. It's like he has amnesia. It was that traumatic. It's only now when we get together and I'll start saying, you remember this? You remember that? Because like I have, I mean, I have a memory of four. Um, we were all being bathed one at a time by my mom, poor thing. And uh tub was like gray water, but it was getting close to my turn. It was like halfway full at this point. And I was like, all squirmy. I was, you know, four years old and excited to get in the water. And uh, my mom just, she switched, she switched on a dime and she grabbed my arm, like with her hands, I could feel her thumb like press into my little bone of my arm. And she said, you're a She started shaking me and the room got really hot and there were like stars and it got brown, you know, it started to fade to brown and I started to fuzz out. But when I, I came to and I just realized right then and there, like I wasn't safe, Mm -hmm. um, that I was bad. I did something really bad, but I wasn't safe. And my mommy wasn't safe 
so what did you what did you do after that? I mean, I I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I can't even well, I can unfortunately. I know a similar childhood, but um, how did you process it after that? I mean, normally your mother is supposed to be a place of safety and nurturing, and then to experience the exact opposite. How did you process that as as a kid? Well, that's what was so crazy because she could be incredibly loving and nurturing and she was so talented and she was as bright as my astrophysicist father was intelligent, but it, it was a, a very damaging environment because it was such a teeter totter and you didn't know when the next explosion was going to occur. So initially what I did to self-soothe was sugar. Like I had Oreos coming out my nose when I was six years old, you know, so, and just, I found ways to self-soothe that may not have been the healthiest, but it's what I knew to survive. And then also I became mom. I just stayed quiet. I did as I was told and I tried to anticipate needs um, and just really um, my sense of intuition and telepathy became sort of piercingly accurate Mm -hmm. out of a need to survive that environment. Um, And it really served me until it didn't. It became dangerous to tell truth like that. Um, And then I put a cap on that for a long while. But food was really my drug of choice. And you said it became dangerous. Can I ask, like, in what way? And uh, A boot could come flying across the room at you and you'd get a black eye. Um, you'd get beaten because, you know, I one day I tried to polish the kitchen cabinets and I left polish on the cabinets. And it was, you know, a flurry of swear words and get up here, Susie, what did you do? You know, and then I just you'd be beaten with objects and yeah. Do you find that when you tell your story that there are some people that understand because they've had a similar background or those that just don't because they just came from an exact opposite pristine background? Well, Vanessa, we'll see what happens because I haven't been really out of the closet. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so, I'm so, I mean, I'm not, not, not no, no, uh, it's, it's, it, I've been out of the closet with support groups with, you know, various modalities of therapy, talk and somatic yeah. um, friends, um, but close friends. I mean, even a boyfriend, my college boyfriend, like had no idea people I went to to elementary school, middle school, high school, they're like, we had no idea, you know, like you, you seem like the perfect family Mm -hmm. and we envied you. Um, And you know what? I didn't have an idea until I was in my mid twenties and I started demonstrating and seeing similar behavior that I witnessed in my home, in my own life and my own relationships. And so I had to take a look at it and do, you know, clean up aisle nine. I'm just grateful I was brave enough because it's not the general trajectory. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like when you, I I imagine you saw 
therapist and you did the work to kind of work through it or did that take like just a, a long time to get to that point where you could you know see someone about it I was really fortunate it started pretty early I think you know the first red flag uh, I took a slug from a wine jug to ask for a raise at work and I was oh. like there's something wrong with that you know yeah. my dad 7 30 in the morning you know the dry sink would open and you'd hear the cork pop off the whiskey bottle and glug, glug, glug. so I knew like when I was taking a sip out of the wine jug to ask for a raise oh you got a problem and also I was I had a string of abusive um, relationships and just drama you know creating drama that some of it is early 20s, but a lot of it was just unhealthy yeah. um, role modeling. Um, and I was fortunate because I saw the signs and I asked a friend if she knew someone who could help. And she passed a card to the therapist. And I just got so lucky because I was willing at that point because I was splitting out of my own body. My throat was so tight with anxiety and I was a chameleon. I, it, I would change on a dime based who you were, you know, again, that sensitivity, mm-hmm. getting in someone else's being and, and pretending to be who they wanted me to be. But, but that created no semblance of self mm-hmm. and the happiness was truly a, a, an act at that point. I had no idea who I was. So I was fortunate enough to be led to a therapist that immediately like the first session started talking about my drinking and was there alcoholism in my family? I'm like, watch check, this. Check, you know, check I, I get happy when I drink, you know? Yeah. But he told me, don't drink while you're in treatment with me. Go to AA meetings to check, check out your dad's alcoholism problem. And you go to meetings for children that were raised mm. with alcoholism. And it really helped me. That was, that was the first level. And I did talk therapy for years, but honestly, it was great to lay down the story, but it led me full circle back to where I started. And I didn't really evolve. I shifted, mm-hmm. but I didn't really evolve until I went to somatic work, really going into the body and exploring the trauma pockets and the sensations and the colors and were they current, were they past, were they ancient? Hmm. Um, and releasing it. That's what really turned me around. And that was a gift from my one who I consider my greatest guru, which is such an oxymoron, but that's <laughs> my, the man that would become my ex-husband. I read about I that. Totally credit, yeah. I totally credit him. Wow. You've, you've lived through so much. And I have to say, in case I forget, which I know I won't, but you are so damn strong. thank you Vanessa well takes one to know one is what I want to say but you know I would hear that and I didn't feel like that on the inside until going through my divorce and coming out of it I had no choice but to see it Mm. and that was the universe doing for me what I could not do for myself like I've fully believe our challenges and our challengers are our greatest gifts in the most audited packages <laughs> that can present. But man, what opportunities for soul evolution? Like call me California hooey and you know I'm in Montana <laughs> now, but um, No, it's so true. It is so true. I mean 
I, I don't I don't think that there's anyone else in a similar I guess like background that could could say like if they didn't look at it that way that they would still be in a broken state or maybe they, maybe they'd still be living in that in that you know situation but if they look at it the way you did then they would they would be transformed most definitely I think it's it's fairly unusual it's not the typical way to look at things but I feel in a way that that may be part of my mission. Mm. Uh, and that may be why, one of the reasons I came to earth. I mean, I've been told since 2007, I have a book to write. An Irish seer told me first, and I was like, ah, crap, I really don't <laughs> want to go through that. And then another intuitive told me like, you know, 10 years later, and then the last intuitive told me a couple years ago, and she goes, oh, you have a lot to say. You have three books to write. And I was like, oh, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> So, so is that where, um, hold on, hold on. I wrote a note. Uh, that's where you're, is that where this book came from? The one that you wrote? That's, that's it. That's, that's the book toxic family transforming childhood trauma into adult freedom. That is the book and it just came out. Well, so, congratulations. Um, when did that come out exactly? today no way <laughs> shut the front door shut the front door you're telling me that susan gold's book came out today and we are talking to susan on the release day of her book you're, you're kidding me there's no mistake oh my god susan oh god congratulations and oh my god that's amazing um well, we always share, you know, links to everything to works that you do inside the description of the episode, but that book link will totally be there. Um, where where can people find your book? Well, you can go to SusanGold.us and get all the information you need about it, but it's at Amazon, it's at Barnes and Noble, it's at all the I'm gonna the take a selfie things. with the book and be like, We interviewed Susan. <laughs> I'm doing it, Susan, and I'm gonna send you the picture. <laughs> I love that. I'll post oh, it. Oh, totally. Oh my God. You're just adorable. And and I'm so, I, I know exactly what you mean when you say that people tell you, oh, you're strong or, oh, you are courageous for sharing something or you made it through this. And you're like, but that was me breathing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like you're like, that was me taking a step. It wasn't something nuanced. It was me literally living my life, but in and the um I guess like afterward it really is it really is a, a lesson to other people and it, it really is an example that they can be strong and they can get through whatever it is that they're going through or that what they're going through has has an afterward and it has an end right like they can get out of it so your life uh, yeah. is a testament to this is a gift from my upbringing. I mean, we were raised to be independent, take care of yourself. Nobody's going to take care of you. You're a problem. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I learned, you know, and I, I basically knew I was on my own and got us rise to the top to survive was the mentality. I don't believe in that anymore. But. Right. I made a video once. Um, it's just a personal video uh, on my social. And I said, um, you know, people ask, like, how did you how did you become the person that you are? How do you even have so much hope in humanity, seeing as how you were raised by the worst of it? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, that's uh, I put myself into everything, art and music and, and film and video, because that was the only way I knew to survive was to pour myself into the arts and live outside of my surroundings. That's how I survived. So everyone so has I, cannot, a, I, can, 
I can also flip that on its head, uh-huh. though, because one of my survival tools was actually endurance sport. Hmm. And I took that to new dimensions. So, you know, marathoning, triathloning, and I was like too injured to do that. And I started doing master swimming and training like an NC2A athlete, you know, well into adulthood. I mean, within four years, I had a national ranking. But what I realized was I was so hungry for approval that my self-esteem was so dependent on these outside, I don't know, nebulous achievements Mm. And it was really great to break through that. Like I got to the point where I couldn't walk around my block because I had a hip impingement. Mm. And it would, it also served me because I could take a look at how I was bludgeoning my body just cruelly yeah. to, to garner some kind of accolade and esteem. And I'm, I'm so grateful I'm through that one too. Yeah. So why is it then that we do that, that we seek these accolades and, and this like, you know, applause, like why, what is it that hungers in us to do that? Well, I'll speak for myself and that I learned very early that I was in the way I was trouble. I was not enough. And so I wanted to prove that I was, and I did that in all sorts of ways that look admirable from society, from, you know, outside organizations. But then I learned, yeah, no, it's not not at all. And thank goodness, thank goodness I could see that, you know, It's, it's all led me to this, to this point where I mean, this is probably the freest I've been in my life and the most grateful and the most connected. Like even with my abusers. Hmm. So do you have relationships still with all of them? I do. Yeah. Wow. Not, not my ex-husband. I don't right. interact with him. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I love my family. Is your, your um, parents still alive? Are they? My dad is. My mom passed away. Um but um, my dad is still, yeah, mm. still alive. The last family reunion or gathering, we don't usually do them often, but we did one in August. And he said, yeah, you don't really sort of seem to belong in this family. <laughs> You're really nice and so positive. Yeah. And well, how did that make you feel? Happy. <laughs> <laughs> And your siblings, what's that relationship like now? So we don't see each other often. Um, but I have so much love and compassion because I don't think any of them have really had the opportunity to dive deep and examine their trajectory. And um, don't I don't know because I'm not in their bodies, but I, sometimes I wonder if they're living as freely and fully mm-hmm. as they deserve. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel sad for them? Yeah, I do. I definitely felt sad for my two baby brothers that I was leaving behind that morning that I left for for college. Um, I, I had survivor guilt. Um, and yeah, I definitely feel sad for my oldest brother. I mean, he's another talented, intelligent, 
guy. He just had so much crap ladled over his heart. He didn't have a chance. Mm. Mm -mm. What do you remember uh, from the morning that you left? I remember I was scared. And I remember that I was almost on automatic. And I was grateful because my mom and my brothers weren't awake and I didn't have to say goodbye. Um, and I, I knew I had to go and I didn't, I wasn't really sure what I was going to, even though it was a soft landing, it was the Jersey shore for the summer. And my sister, um, was there in the apartment with, um, some of her college roommates. So it was a very soft landing there. Um, before I went off to college. But yeah, I was very apprehensive. I knew I didn't have tools mm -hmm. for a living. And so was it school, though, that you were headed to? Or was it just like, you're 18, I need to go? Um, no, I was actually 17. And mm -hmm. so I went to the Jersey Shore for the summer to work. And then I oh, okay. had a scholarship for college that fall. I really didn't want to go. But my father... <laughs> was a college professor. Right. And so, you know, I knew, oh yeah, I guess I have to go. And I didn't know what to go for. Like, I didn't know you could go for communications then. Like radio and TV was really popular back then. It's not yeah. anymore. Um, <laughs> Should be. You know, I wish I, I wish I knew that. Yeah. I wish I knew that I went for, for dance. Cause that's all I knew. I had a bachelor in fine arts, but my sophomore year an alumni came through and she told me that she had an arts management company in New York city. And so I wrote her, I said, I want to come work for you. And she goes next summer. And she goes, Oh, well, you can come this winter because we have a Broadway season happening for one of our clients and we need you. So I had to go negotiate with the head of the dance department and then go over to the Dean of Fine Arts, who was actually Maya Lin's dad. Maya Lin did the Vietnam um, yeah. War Memorial in DC. Oh, he didn't wow. know what I was doing in his office, but he ultimately said yes. And I went to Greenwich Village in New York at 19. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. Man, yeah. So, so tell us about like that whole path of going through New York and and then you know going across the country and like what was that like? Yeah. So my sister softened the blow again. I slept on her couch for three weeks till I acclimated, and then I took over a sublet. One of the partners in the arts management firm had me sublet. It was scary as heck. It had what like one of those police locks and a green footprint on the door. Oh. And when I went in, like. All these things scurried and it was roaches. I didn't know what roaches were. <laughs> roommates. That's what they were. Yeah. They were roommates, Susan. <laughs> but New York, New York was amazing. Then I walked everywhere. You you never knew what was gonna happen. Now yeah. it's a bit sanitized. Yeah. You know? So was and this what what year what decade was that? Uh it was the eighties, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was the eighties. Um and um yeah, I just, I loved it. And I didn't want to go back to college, but I, I went back and then I went back again to the city in the summer. And then the, the arts management firm offered me a job, but I wanted something glitzy. Mm, so I went course. to ICM, which is a large talent agency. I had to be in a skyscraper, Vanessa. All right. And, um, and then my, ultimately my boss, who was head of the commercial division, celebrity commercials, left, asked me to join him. And I did. And that's where I learned to negotiate overscale contracts um, and I was training Barbara Walters, who I'd watched growing up on Shut my beanbag, on my belly, in the base. I was training her on oh the side God. to get money. And this this agent that I left to work with had a little sexual addiction and would invite young women in, oh and I would have to disappear for a, you know a few hours during the day. It was so uncomfortable. It was mm. so awkward. I mean, it's so different now, but then you know. 
So, um, and then he tried it on me. Um, he, he tried the whole, yeah, the whole thing on me. And I showed up at Barbara's door the next morning at seven Mm -hmm. to run her through the paces. And she knew something happened. She's like, what is up? What is up? So I told I'm coming to work today with you and we're confronting this man. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, Barbara, it's okay. So I did confront him on my own and I quit that day. And I decided I couldn't work as an assistant again, even though Barbara offered me a spot with uh, Merv Adelson at Lorimar. He was like, had a Lorimar that um, she's like, you'll be able to write your own ticket. I'm like, Barbara, I can't be anybody's assistant. So I formed my own talent brokerage firm, like matching celebs with brands. And my first deal was to knock on the door of the factory and convince Andy Warhol to do a commercial (laughs) for Pontiac. Whoa. What was Andy like? So he was quiet. He could care less that I was there. His studio was super dark and had like a white pin spotlight down on his hair that was like going every direction. And he had three pugs. He loved these pugs. That's all he cared about. They would tug on his pants leg and he'd like lean down and grab them. And um, finally, he just said to me, stop. And he looked right at me for the first time. And he said, now, really, why should I do this? And I like paused. I didn't know what to say. And then I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. He's like, okay. I'll oh, do it. man, that's so smart. Wow. And did you know that he already loved those pugs so much? Or you kind of I like, could tell. Learn, I oh, could tell. damn, I'm you're good, empath. Susan. Yeah. Damn, you're good. <laughs> I'm an empath. I can, get, I can get it. I didn't read minds then. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have my spidey telepathic skills available then. But I could, I could sense that, yeah, those dogs meant everything. I mean, he did not even make eye contact with me, Vanessa, for the whole time I was like in there blathering. Yeah. Wow. And then so so you you landed Andy, right? And then went on from there and and so man, um are there some people that you've worked with that you you still can't believe you worked with them? Oh my goodness, so many. So many. I mean, my I ended up going to LA. Oh no, first Roger Ailes was running CNBC and America's Talking. He wanted celebrities on his network. I couldn't get any. So mm-hmm. I said one night, I grabbed a cameraman. I go, come on, let's go. We went to some red carpet event and I interviewed all the talent yeah. about the red carpet event. And then I had them look direct to camera and do a little promo. Sure. Hi, I'm so-and-so. You Well, that was unheard of then. <laughs> That was the only way that I could get celebrities to be on the network. And it caught Roger's attention. Oh, wow. And he called me up to his office and he said, name the show you want to produce, whatever you want to produce. And then he invited me to help launch Fox News Channel, which I did. But ultimately, I was led out to L.A. Mm -hmm. and convinced, um, oh, my gosh, Taylor Swift and David Beckham and Ben Stiller and Jack Black to do like to do interviews with cartoon (laughs) characters. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then, yeah. And then I ran a show that was about the business of the entertainment industry and everybody came through. I mean, I had to walk Steven Mm. Spielberg around for a half hour one day when Clint Eastwood was like running over and I had to pull Vince Vaughn's um, personal, (laughs) personal effects out of the trailer to get George Clooney in there in time. Wow. And is there anyone who is, I guess, who is like super like, humble and like super nice or are they all kind of like have their own little quirks you know what there were some more than others that were more grounded so that's so cool (laughs) um so the book is out where what do you see 
happening with this book? Not really like, oh, it's going to be on the top 10, but tell me about the people that are going to receive so much goodness and help and hope from this. What do you think is going to happen? So my hope is that it gets to the individual that doesn't even know they might be helped by my experience. There's so many of us carrying around so much trauma on our backs and sacks that we do not need to carry. And I'm hoping that each one can can somehow get a hold of this book and it will be, they will be led and it will be word of mouth. And I am not going to do email marketing weekly to buy this silly book. It's going to, it's going to get to the right people. It's been called an activation, Vanessa. Huh. Uh, the publisher said she wasn't the same at the beginning of the book as she was at the end. Wow. So. That's a testament. That is amazing. Um, I totally forgot my next question. Um, How about happiness? We didn't even talk about it. Oh, yet. we're getting there. <laughs> Quit running the show, Susan. No, I'm just kidding. I know, I can't help it. I know, me too. I watch things all the time and I'm like, you know, it could have been edited and maybe this could have been gone there. And, yeah. I just want to make your job easier with the edit. Oh, you're amazing. So um, we look forward to reading this. And you know what? I kind of see it as almost like the, the friend that gave you the business card. Because in a way, this book is now your business card that you're giving to someone without knowing that you're giving it to them. Oh, my gosh. I just got chill bumps everywhere. That's a little angel message, Vanessa. Thank you. I never would have seen it that way. Wow. And I thought of it and then I lost it. Because <laughs> and then I got it back. So yay. Thank you, angels. That's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 full circle. It really is. And thank God that you have written this amazing book and you're here and you've you've survived and you've I don't know, you've lived such a life. And I'm so glad that you are here to to share your story. And thank you for being here, by the way. In case I don't thank you a thousand times. But yes, so the ultimate question, Susan, is are you happy? So authentically, I can say yes. For years, I would have told you I was happy. And for years, I had this layer of saran wrap. Like it was around me. It was between me and you. And, you know, I just didn't understand it. It just felt like this false persona was enveloping me. And I couldn't really deeply connect and I think with all the experience, all the puzzle pieces that have fit right to this moment, that saran wrap's finally melted. And I'm finally free to be who I really am and to really feel the emotion of happiness and not feel afraid. And just a follow-up question. So who are you? I think I'm a regular, normal human being trudging the road side by side with you and everybody else, just being one amongst many. And that feels great. If you could share a message with the world, any message at all, really, what would that message be? Be kind to yourself, soothe yourself. You've been through hell. 
just being present on this planet and certainly in this time. So be gentle with you and then that will float to others. That's an excellent answer. And is there um, any other, I guess, type of message that you would give to people that are in the middle of their struggle? Um, Yeah, anything at all? There's hope and don't quit before the miracle. That implies that there's miracles ahead, which is for sure, no matter where you are no matter what the circumstance, there's definitely hope and there are definitely miracles to be had. And I invite anybody out there, anybody to connect with me. You can through my site, susangold.us and info at susangold.us. I'll get on a call with you and connect because that's what's important. You'll know you're not alone. You know, I had a thought sometimes when we, we're looking and waiting for that miracle, right? And we're looking forward, trying to make our way to it. And sometimes you are the miracle. Sometimes it's not you waiting for something to happen to you, but it's you happening to other people. So sometimes you're the miracle that needs to happen to someone else. But we don't see that because we're too busy looking for our miracle that we don't understand that we're also that miracle to someone else. When I hear you describe that... For me, that's the experience of me waking up to my bright and beautiful soul that's right here within me. And thank you for sharing your beautiful soul with us. Thanks for having me. Yay! Um, We didn't have a normal introduction. (laughs) We just kind of went into it because you're awesome. Thank you for joining us today on Are You Happy Podcast. People, listeners, this is Susan Gold, one of the most amazing ladies that I've met. Her book, go, go take a look at it. And if it speaks to you, give it to somebody you know that needs it. Why not? And we'll see you next week on Are You Happy Podcast. The Are You Happy Hour is brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast and Are You Happy. Are You Happy can be found on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and even Discord. If you're online and searching for us, that's Are You Happy with three Ps on TikTok, Are You Happy Official on Instagram, YouTube.com slash Are You Happy on YouTube, and then for Discord, visit our websites and find the information so you can get that invite and join us in the community. Not just creators, but also fans of, of the show we definitely want you to join in if you are interested in sending us a voice message to let us know if you are happy and wanting us to share that with the world definitely leave a voice message with are you happy official on instagram thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode and we look forward to seeing you next week on are you happy the happy hour